Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For the Lord will vindicate his people. He will have compassion upon his servants. For there is no other God beside him. For it is he who literally, it is he who puts to death and it is he who brings life. And this is the very word of our God as it is found in today's Old Testament lesson from Deuteronomy chapter 32. You know, Palm Sunday, what a joyous time. But really, in a sense, it's uh, the calm before the storm. Palm Sunday is also a reminder of how fickle people can be. On this day, the crowds shout in Hebrew, Hoshanah, Lord, save us and save us now. What a setting. And yet, we know that in a few days, many in that same crowd will either be silent or they will be calling for his death. The lessons on Palm Sunday speak about two separate concepts. The one is the fierce, inevitable, righteous judgment of God. And the second one is the gracious, eternal mercy of God. The first one brings certain death and destruction. And the second one brings life and healing. But the one word that brings both judgment and grace together is Jesus. And as we shall see, Jesus has always been God's final word. And this Sunday before Jesus, as he rides into Jerusalem, he's the only one in the crowd who knows that these gates into Jerusalem is the gateway to his death. Of course, you and I who live on the other side of Good Friday and the other side of Easter, we know of his terrible suffering and death. His horrible suffering as he awaited the cross, betrayed by a friend, forsaken by his Father in heaven. No one could truthfully say that Jesus deserved any of that. Fact of the matter is, we all deserve this. Even a casual reading of God's word tells us that God loved his people. He cared about them. He fed them. He rescued them from their enemies. Time after time after time. And yet, what was the people's response? More often than not, they chased after false gods. A golden calf there at the foot of the mountain. They built for themselves gods made out of wood and stone and other materials. Gods that could neither speak nor even move. Over and over again, sinful people abandoned completely their God. And doesn't the same thing happen in our world today? When people remove Jesus Christ from the heart, center, and soul of their life. As people literally remove Christ. The majority of the world never really has had much use for Jesus. And we understand that, and we're really not surprised by it. But what really surprises us and shocks us is when people who confess at one point in their life faith and trust in Christ decide that they're going to remove him from the heart, center, and soul of their life. You know, as long as I I live, I will never 
forget a conversation that I had with someone who was once a member at Christ our King. When their last child was confirmed, this person said to me, I'm quitting the church. And not only am I quitting the church, but I'm quitting Christianity. Because I don't really feel a need for God any longer in my life. I mean, I was shocked. Think to yourself, I no longer have a need for Jesus Christ. What do you suppose became this person's new God? I'm thinking probably themselves. As, as the person literally reclaimed her life for herself. Of course, this is not as strange as it might seem. It occurs with a greater frequency year after year. It happens when we are tempted to grab a hold of things and activities that give us a false sense of security. People often pick or choose a new God. A new God who will allow them to be themselves. And when the world is busy chasing after whatever new God of the week it is, what people don't realize is that a change begins to take place in their heart. A change begins to start slowly. The kind of change which says that sin becomes acceptable. And sin almost becomes comfortable. Again, what happens though when people's lives are overwhelmed by the things of life? Then where are these new gods? They're nowhere to be found. They're nowhere to be found because they are simply takers and not givers. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, when we're tempted to follow, follow another God, we have to ask ourselves, how's that working for us? How's our new God of the week holding up? And sooner or later, the answer is always, they quit on me. And they're not anywhere to be found. You know, in many ways, we could say that our sinful world is getting what it deserved. Because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath and his anger. God tells us in his word, the soul that sins, it shall die. Someone has to pay. Sin has to be held accountable. But the final word on this matter concerning sin is found in the man who rides into town on this day on a donkey. Because he will soon carry the burden that God the Father laid on him. You know, the people in the city on Good Friday thought to themselves arrogantly that they're the ones that laid this burden on him. That he himself was getting what he deserved. Nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes we think that we merit God's forgiveness when we attempt to reestablish our relationship with God. But against, once again, wrong. It is God who reestablishes a relationship with us. The final week of Jesus' earthly life was ugly because God the Father was having his way with sin. God's final word of judgment came crashing down on Christ. 
And it is because of this that we dare not be fooled into thinking that God somehow winks at sin or that God somehow sweeps it under the carpet. Of course, God could have handled this sin problem another way. He could have taken his wrath out on us. He could have locked us up forever. But God did the unthinkable. The Bible puts it this way. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might receive his righteousness. God chose to deliver up his own son in our place. You see, God's final word concerning justice and judgment is Jesus. Of course, none of us deserves his mercy. Every sin separates us from God. Every sin reaps the wrath of God. When God announces the condemnation of our sin, he also holds out a promise. A promise that he still loves us. And you know, without that promise, where would we be? Without that promise of his love and forgiveness, we would have no hope and we would absolutely have no future. But it is because of his constant love that we, like the people of old, can be brought to repentance. Now, repentance is another subject. Some people unmistakably believe that their repentance merits them God's forgiveness. Again, nothing could be further from the truth. Almost looking at my repentance as an action or a good work on my part that merits God's forgiveness. If that were the case, then Jesus' death on the cross would be a waste of time. But God leads his people to repentance so that he alone, he alone can deliver to them his final word of mercy. And what is his final words of mercy? It is these words, I forgive you your sins. Every time we are led to repent, God puts us to death. And then with forgiveness, what does he do? He brings us back to life. Final week of Jesus' life, he confronts us with the truth of God. You know, most theological heresies today are the result of a misunderstanding of the true nature of God. You've heard me say this probably many times before, but look at the cross. Look at the arm of the cross there. Picture it as one of those old balance scales. The one side of the cross, the one side of God is a God of judgment. God cannot stand sin. He will not put up with it. Sin must be dealt with. It must be paid for. He cannot sweep it under the carpet. But the other side of the cross is God's mercy and his love. That God would send his own son to stand in our place, to suffer the punishment that we deserve, came to heal a sin-sick soul. Really, the cross shouts out loud and clear, law, gospel, judgment, mercy. Both of those things describe our amazing God, and thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, because of Jesus Christ, God's final word, you have forgiveness. You have been covered by the blood and the righteousness of Christ. You know, it is impossible for any of us to duck God's judgment. But once you and I are united to him by faith, what a pleasant thing it is 
to be in the hand of God. And as long as we trust in his merits and not our own, as long as we trust in his merits alone, then we know that nothing can separate us from his love. Sure, our life is going to be filled with temptations. Temptations to leave the security that God gives, to go after those things and those activities that we think is going to make our life pleasant and happy. Those temptations always threaten the success of the plans that God has for us. But you know what? Today you and I can go about our lives secure in His mercy. God's mercy, God's security, one for us on the cross, is what we need. And if we stumble, and if we fall along the way, His word of judgment will bring us to daily repentance. And His word of mercy and forgiveness will renew our life. Again, the cross shouts out to us. Palm Sunday shouts out to us. Again, God's justice, God's mercy. And there's one person that brings justice and mercy together, and that's Jesus. God's final word. Thanks be to God for Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you that on this Palm Sunday, again, as we sing our hosannas, we know, Lord, what is ahead for you this week. As you stood there, only you knew the incredible suffering that you would endure in our place. If it was us, we would have tempted to run the other way. But Lord, you kept your eyes focused on that cross to win our salvation. You are the author. You are the very perfecter of our faith. And so, Lord, as we journey with you this week to the cross and to the empty tomb, help us, Lord, to journey with you in faith and love and thankfulness. Thanks be to God for all that you have done for us. And all of God's people said, Amen.